a cup of coffee with you right here. And so we've been praying about this Friends of International thing. And man, we're wanting to see this happen. And Sam's been to our church and many of you have been to our church. I don't have freckles. I'm not like bread. I have no idea what bigotry is. And so <laughs> our church kind of all looks the same. And so if you're from a different ethnic group and you walk into our place, you're kind of going, wow, we do not fit in here. And so some way, somehow, we wanted to be able to start this ministry. And so we've been praying about it. And then Brett comes in in September and they're showing us pictures of what's going on in their church. And I'm going, wow, man, I, we need to see that. And so I go to our church and I said, man, we need this. And they're all looking at me like, how do we even go about that? And I'm going, I have no idea. And then here in the last couple of months, God has brought some Filipino families into our church uh, who are immigrants themselves. And so I pitched the idea to him and said, what do you think? And he said, man, let's pray about that. And so I said, why you pray, I'm going to go try to get hooked up with Andrew and get him here to Atlanta so that we can get this thing started. And so I want you praying that God would move and open that door that through this couple and through Andrew's leadership that we can see that happen because we have a college town right next to ours where God can do an amazing work through that. So you be praying for that. My other job is to introduce Mark. Uh, I am where I am today because of Mark Trotter. And while you guys were standing up here and I was thinking about the LFBI, I wish I'd have had that. But instead, I had to be a CD junkie and go get Mark's CDs and listen and over and over. And then that opened me up to the, the Kansas City Baptist Temple world. And I had to basically freelance as a student. And if I'd have had something like LFBI, where would I be at today? And so because of Mark and his influence in my world, I am where I am and I appreciate that. And so I'd like to ask Mark to come up and y'all be praying for him in Malawi and seeing what God has in store for him. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's, let's pray for Corey. Lord, thank you for Cali Harbin Baptist Church and Thank you for its leader. I thank you that he is a man of your word and has just labored through the years to seek to know you through the pages of your book. And Lord, thank you for how he has responded in obedience. Thank you that he responds in obedience to everything that's put before him, this, this opportunity with internationals. And so we pray for this Filipino family. We pray for the, the connection with Cali Harbin. And we pray, Lord, that you might just bless in a supernatural way. Put your hand on this pastor and pray that you will give Corey wisdom as he seeks to lead this church and orchestrate all of this with uh, with, with Andrew being able to be a blessing to this church. But we do pray uh, in the city of Atlanta that you will reach many people with the gospel through this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
Uh, man, I'm thrilled to be with you guys again. I, uh, I, I can't say uh, where they're going to put that, so I might ought to just move my little sorry self. Um, I can't say enough about how cool I think it is that you are here. Uh, this is a time where normal people are relaxing and having fun. And we're maybe not relaxing, but doggone, we're having fun. Amen? This is just so cool. I think it's cool that you think it's cool. Uh, really, I, I, I wish that when I was the age of most of you, that I would have found some people like you that were just so dialed into God and so dialed in to his mission. Uh, you know, th this thing of the mission and the, the place that we have in all of that, I, I got to tell you, when I was your age, I had a burden for everybody in the world that was in my family. <laughs> and there were times where that would get broadened out to where I would have a burden for everybody in my country. But wow, just seeing that the whole world is what we have been called to have a part in what God is doing. And so, you know, I, I, I know what's getting ready to happen in this session. Uh, my, my brother from Malawi is going to take the, the bulk of this um, today. And uh, the Living Faith Fellowship has been gracious to us to carve out uh, an hour for us uh, each of the days to be able to share with you some things that, that we are so stoked about. And so as I was sitting there this morning and just looking around, I was thinking, you know, how, how are people going to contextualize this? And as we're sharing about Malawi, how do people from all over the world and all over this country and people that, uh, you know, you're, you're busy doing something right now, how, how, how do you hear this? And, and there was just one, one verse, and uh, my, my role is just to get my brother up here. So w would you take your device right now and resist the urge to check Instagram on your way there and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and, you know, coming off of the whole, you know, infamous thing that, that Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and all of that. Coming into verse 12, Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. And, and I love this about the Apostle Paul because it gives us all a great hope, doesn't it? That Paul didn't feel like he had arrived. And so he says, man, I'm not, I'm not telling you this. I'm not talking to you right now as a dude that got it all together. And, and I'm just trying to promote, you know, you guys do it like me. But, but I love, check this, this heart. He says, but I follow after. Here's what I'm giving myself to. This is what I am pursuing with everything that is within me. 
that I may apprehend that. There's something that he wanted to apprehend. If, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Paul came to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus had taken him into his possession. He had been apprehended by Christ. And what he's saying here is whatever purpose he had in taking me into his possession, I want to make sure that I have grasped that and I have taken that purpose into my possession. And what I want to just say to, to all of you, you, you may be sitting here today and may, may be thinking, you know, yeah, you know I, I know missions is the thing. I don't know if I feel called to the mission field and all of that. Okay, listen. When Jesus apprehended you, when he took you into his possession, there's something that he has for you to do. And the way that I see this thing unfolding biblically is that all of us are to have a ministry in our church, our own local church, and we are to have a mission in the world. Now, now listen, it's gotten to be a little bit romantic with a lot of people that are your age to have a mission in the world. But you don't have a ministry in the church. Find out, talk to your pastor. What could I do to use who God made me and take in that, that into my possession in my own local church? But, but listen, you have a ministry in your church, but you also have a mission in the world. And, and, and the way that I would love for you to understand this is that you have a unique role. There is a certain something. There is a specific assignment that God has for you when it comes to world missions. And so as you're listening, you know, we're listening, uh, you know, uh, hearing about Friends of Internationals. Okay, well, you may never do Friends of Internationals, but wow, as we're hearing these people talk and we're hearing these testimonies, do you understand what's happening? God's doing something in our hearts, grooming us for that specific something, that unique role, our destiny in world missions. My brother is getting ready to come, and he's going to share with you. Your feet may never touch Malawi soil, and that's cool. But even though your feet may never touch that piece of property on this planet, I do think that over the course of the next two days now, that if you'll listen to what God is doing in that country, it's going to help groom you to that specific something to your destiny in world missions. And, and so uh, I, I just wanted to throw that out so maybe for some of you that are going, I don't know why I should care about this Malawi thing. 
Listen, it, it may just be something that God wants to use to direct you to that specific something in your world. All right. So uh, I, I'm going to take a, a, a good portion of the time tomorrow to talk about some of the things that we're doing. But today I wanted you to be able to fall in love with a brother that I have fallen in love with uh, eight years ago uh, in just a couple of weeks uh, I met this brother for the first time and uh, God has just formed a partnership uh, with him and uh, I, I, I can't say enough about uh, how I feel about him personally but I, I will say to you, I, you know, I, I know we do this preacher talk thing and everything's, you know, really big. And, uh, but I really do believe that God is in the process of grooming uh, Palira Chabwana to be a national leader in Malawi. And I believe he will end up having an international influence because of the character that he has because of the, the passion for God and his word that he has. And uh, so I, I, I want you to make him feel welcome. He, he just got in on Tuesday. He is working jet lag. All of us mission trip people understand that thing. So he was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at uh, 2 a.m. this morning and hasn't been to sleep yet. And uh, so, bro, don't fall asleep on us while you're speaking. And, uh, and let's return the favor. But let's, let's make him feel welcome. This is Palira Chabwana. Well, if I get over time, uh, I can blame it on uh, jet lag, right? Am I, do I have still? Man, you are preaching. You should have finished. Okay. All right. Uh, it is a real joy and, and delight um, that I'm here today um, with you at this uh, mission conference. Um, I, I, I have been hearing uh, more about uh, this mission conference, some great things uh, uh, that have come out as fruit of, uh, of uh, these uh, mission conferences. And uh, my brother, uh, Chris Weaver there, was coming to Malawi last year uh, all excited, and uh, he, he was like, man, you, you, you need to get to this. And uh, when the opportunity uh, presented, uh, was presented for me to uh, come here, uh, I just couldn't wait uh, to come and uh, spend uh, this time uh, with you. And uh, let me take this opportunity to bring greetings from my, uh, my own congregation, Mulunguzi Community Church, uh, and the Passion Center uh, Ministries that I'm, uh, I'm a part of. 
So this morning, what, uh, what I'm going to try to do is just to uh, share um, my story uh, and then uh, and branch off to give you a context of, uh, of where we are operating, where we are working, and where we are serving um, in Malawi. Uh, I think chances are high that uh, most people that are gathered uh, in this room might not even know that the country Malawi really exists uh, on this plan, on this uh, uh, part of heaven. Uh, so I start with my, with my testimony. When so, so, sometimes it really feels a little uh, uneasy to uh, speak um, about yourself especially in the context of, of, of worship. Uh, but it's amazing uh, how God uh, gets the glory when we begin to talk about uh, his grace on our lives on display uh, in cracked verses uh, just like me. Apostle Paul uh, takes the liberty uh, in sharing his story about how he got converted. And allow me, uh, as I start my story, to read through a, a portion of scripture that details uh, Apostles Paul's uh, salvation story. Acts chapter 26, uh, verse number 12 uh, to verse number 18. Verse 12. Okay, so Acts is in the New Testament, right? In case you're starting from the old, still looking for Acts, is in the New Testament. I'm just saying. So, verse 12. Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday... O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen uh, to the earth, I heard a voice uh, speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, so, so, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for his purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. 
to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from uh, the power of Satan uh, unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And so this is uh, Apostle Paul's uh, story. And my story is not as glamorous as that of Apostle Paul, uh, but my story, and just like every single one of us who have come to faith, actually speaks of God's grace intersecting our lives uh, in a certain point in time and uh, giving us uh, the hope uh, that we need and salvation uh, for our sin. And in the, in, in the salvation story of Apostle Paul, it also speaks of his grace uh, to entrust him with the treasures uh, of the word to go out and to bring uh, the gospel uh, to the ones that, uh, that haven't been reached, uh, a people group that are, not, uh, that are not Jews. And so let me start with my family, uh, where, uh, where I am right now, and uh, I will work myself uh, backwards. Uh, I am married to, uh, to a wonderful lady, uh, Omega, and together God has blessed us, uh, so God has blessed us with five children, uh, three of whom have been adopted uh, through the, the African extended family system. Uh, in our culture, when someone has died, uh, a relative is obligated uh, to get, uh, to care for uh, those that are, that are left. And so for our family, we have taken in um, three um, that have been adapted into our family. And two uh, that Omega and I uh, bought from the hospital. Uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist. My, my, my parents did all they could uh, to make sure that uh, we are living in, uh, in an environment which would help me grow into uh, the godly person that my, my parents uh, uh, desired. And so uh, they did everything they could, uh, starting from giving me whips if I don't go to a youth ministry uh, or uh, forcing me to fast some food uh, just to force me to uh, be able to go to church and other ministries so that I could grow uh, into, uh, into a godly, uh, godly person. Um, but as serious as that was, and uh, I, I, I did not really... Uh, meet God in all these uh, um, places they are forcing me uh, to go. 
and I did all I could to follow uh, the teachings uh, of Seventh Day, including keeping the Sabbath. Uh, we would work uh, the whole week, and when we get to Friday, when the sun was setting, uh, that was the end of work. And so uh, even cooking, we needed to cook on Friday night, and then we would just uh, warm it up on Saturday so that we uh, shouldn't uh, do any labor on a Sabbath day. And I thought I was living right uh, for God. And the problem, though, was, uh, was that it was actually me uh, doing it. Uh, I, I, I could read passages like, for, for, by God, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. And it really never got to my heart. It really never resonated with me until I heard uh, a young man uh, preaching uh, uh, in our school uh, of the cross, and that Jesus did what he did uh, for me, uh, and that any of my works would not take me even an inch uh, into, uh, into the presence of God. And that's the first time I, I actually heard uh, the gospel uh, with a meaningful uh, clarity. I went into uh, that meeting uh, that day when, where I got saved. Um, the intention wasn't really to hear the preaching of the word. I just went there because we were in a boarding school and there wasn't really any entertainment there. And so some Christian clubs would go from schools to school and put up a fair and then preach the gospel. And it was our turn to come to our school and we haven't gotten entertained. And so they would bring all these full bands and they would put up songs and we would enjoy ourselves. And that was the intention uh, that I had going into that room. But when this man stood up and began to talk about what Jesus has done for me, for the first time, the Holy Spirit showed me who really I was. He exposed how sinful I was. And even with doing all the good works that I tried to do, I was as a sinner as I could be. And he actually also uh, convinced me of his truth and um, showed me that even the works that I was doing would not really uh, save me. And, and so that day I, I, I called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, ask for uh, forgiveness of my sin and, uh, and my works. And that day, the, the burden uh, was lifted. Fast forward, I graduated from high school, uh, secured a job. Uh, one afternoon, I met an American missionary. His name is Eric Seidoff, and a bas uh, at a basketball court, and he invited me and other young men that we were a part of, uh, that the team we were a part of, uh, to come to his home for some Bible studies. Uh, to cut the, short, uh, the story short, I was in for ministry after undergoing uh, a few uh, Bible studies. Man, God 
really gripped my heart. Uh, I sensed God's call uh, to, uh, to, preaching, uh, to preaching ministry. Um, but my decision that I made that day, um, it, it, did not, it, it did not go unchallenged. Um, I had to fight it uh, from within myself. I was still young uh, and still I am. Um, but even 15 years ago, uh, in our country, those who would enter ministry would be people that, uh, that they have worked and retired and they have nothing really to do. And so uh, if they would keep themselves busy, uh, they would get into, uh, into ministry. And these are the kinds of people that pastored us. These are the kind of people that taught in our Sunday schools. The people that really didn't get the calling, but it was more of what can I, uh, what can I do? And so for me, as a young man, looking forward, I was still hoping to raise a family. It wasn't easy for me to make uh, that kind of, uh, that kind of decision uh, to follow through. And uh, that inner struggle uh, took for a long time um, until uh, God won it. Uh, it wasn't only from within myself, but even from uh, people around me. Uh, my parents and my brothers thought that, mm, man, you, you, you don't really know what you're doing. You, you, must, go mad. you must have gone mad. You, you are young, uh, you, you need to work, and, uh, uh, and you could do uh, that pastoral ministry uh, by vocation. I, I don't think that was what was my call. I felt like God was calling me to, uh, into full-time uh, full ministry. And so I quit my job, and uh, I enrolled in Bible college, and while I was there, God gave me a burden uh, for the least of these. Uh, and we started a ministry uh, in the last year of my Bible college, uh, a, a ministry called uh, the Passion Center uh, for, for Children. Currently, I'm involved in, a, in pastoring Mulunguzi Community Church, uh, a church that we planted in 2010, and training pastors and providing oversight uh, to, uh, to an orphanage that is more than an orphanage because it has several other facets uh, of ministry uh, in our community. So in the course of the conference, we'll be able to share with you a few details uh, of this work. But that's how God uh, has really delivered me uh, from the kingdom of darkness uh, and uh, translated me uh, into the kingdom of, uh, of his dear son. Now let me take the remainder uh, of this session uh, to give you a brief history, uh, context uh, of our country. Uh, this is the country that I come from. Uh, the country is called uh, Malawi. Uh, I, I know when we talk about Malawi, people mistake it for Mali, uh, Maui, and so we take anything that people say, um, but it's, uh, it's Malawi. Um, so I'll try to give you a brief and conscious uh, 
details of, uh, of our context. I hope that by giving you a bit of information on the country is going to help for the purpose of praying, uh, which we desperate, uh, desperately uh, covet and need uh, in Malawi, and also to inform the very burden of this conference uh, to have our, uh, our, our minds uh, focused on missions. So Malawi is a small country in Africa, and by the way, Africa is a continent, uh, and not a, not a country. Um, Africa has 54 countries, uh, and Malawi is one of the 54 countries in, in Africa. It is bordered uh, by, um, oh yeah, you got it. Uh, it is bordered uh, by Zambia uh, on, uh, on the northwestern part uh, and on the, uh, on the um, yeah, on the, uh, on the yeah, northwest and Tanzania uh, on, um, on the northeast. And then Mozambique has surrounded us uh, in green. Uh, uh, at least uh, all the way. Um, the country is separated uh, from the, the ocean, and so it is a landlocked country. Um, it's uh, over uh, 45,560 uh, square, meet, uh, square uh, um, miles with an estimated population of uh, 16 uh, million, million people. Um, it has some cities, and its capital city is, uh, is Lilongwe, is at the center there. Um, and um, uh, that's the largest uh, city. And the second largest is Blantyre. It's at, uh, in the southern part. And, uh, and there is a third one, Mzuzu, in the far north. And uh, Zomba is, uh, is an old capital uh, a city. That's where uh, um, we are located. Uh, the country is nicknamed the warm heart of Africa. And we, uh, we brag about that. People think that we smile a lot. Uh, I hope uh, you can uh, attest to that. <laughs> the country was colonized uh, by the British in 1891, and uh, we have been under uh, the British uh, uh, rule uh, until uh, 1964. Uh, when Malawi got its independence. Uh, Malawi is among the world's least developed countries. The economy is heavily based in agriculture with a largely rural, rural population. Uh, the Malayan government depends heavily on outside aid to meet development needs, although this need um, has decreased uh, since 2000. The International Monetary Fund uh, report they produced in 2015 
uh, ranks Malawi as one of the three poorest country uh, in the world. The annual income uh, on average is at $268. Uh, most people live on less than uh, a dollar uh, a day. Electricity, 9% of the population uh, is electrified. And so if there is not if there is no electricity, we don't close school, we still go. Um, and 20% has access to piped water. Um, those who goes to college of the whole population is, uh, less than, uh, is actually 1%. 75% of people uh, live in the rural uh, and 25% live in the urban. The country is uh, ravaged by AIDS. Uh, parents who would otherwise be providing love and care and support uh, to their children have most of them succumbed to death due to HIV and AIDS, leaving uh, almost one million uh, orphans. They, there has been tremendous efforts in the country um, aimed at slowing down the, the spread and the transmission uh, of the virus. Of the virus. Uh, but one major impediment uh, is some cultural uh, practices that are still uh, practiced in Malawi. I'll, I'll just sample you a few cultural practices that are there that are going to uh, continue to impede all the efforts uh, to curb or to stop the spread of the virus. One cultural practice uh, which is held responsible for the spread of HIV is the sexual cleansing. Uh, do you guys talk about sex in church? Right? <laughs> we, 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 we don't do that much back home. Uh, I think I, st I have the liberty because I'm speaking in English, but in our local language, I wouldn't uh, be speaking uh, about this. Praise God, I have liberty here. <laughs> so sexual, sexual cleansing, uh, it occurs after funerals. The barriers have taken place. It is practiced on widows, as it is thought that these women, when their husbands have died, they become unclean. Uh, and they remain unclean until uh, they have had uh, an inter sexual intercourse with uh, a sexual cleanser. Uh, in our lo local language, we call him namandwa, like a big man. And both widow and cleanser, they would be susceptible uh, to contract uh, HIV uh, if the one who has died uh, had AIDS. The other one is uh, wife inheritance. And a widow is married to, when, when a widow is married to, uh, to a guy and the guy dies, uh, a brother from this, from their family, would inherit 
uh, the widow. And so even if that guy is married already, he gets, uh, he gets a second wife. And so when, when you are, you know, your brother is in a relationship, marriage relationship, you know, a brother would be looking at his uh, sister-in-law and that, man, next, day, next time you're going to be my wife. Uh, so uh, they, 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 they call it uh, wife um, inheritance. And another one is initiation ceremonies. This is a rite of passage to adulthood. Teenage boys and girls are taken to separate camps in the bush for circumcision and also give them traditional, uh, traditional counseling. Boys are circumcised usually using one knife and something that could easily lead to the, to the spread of HIV. At the end of initiation ceremonies, they are also encouraged to have sex with any partner of their choice to demonstrate their adulthood. Or sometimes families of the girl children uh, that have just undergone initiation, uh, they would hire and pay a man, uh, they call him hyena, to have sexual intercourse with their girl child so that he learns to satisfy a man. Usually, it is after their first menstruation uh, period. So we're talking about the age of 12 uh, or 13. And the hired man gets to sleep with these girls three consecutive days to mark their passage to womanhood. So if the girls refuse, it is believed uh, that some disease uh, or some fatal misfortune uh, could befall uh, their families. Just two weeks ago before I, 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 I left, um, a, a story came out uh, in the BBC uh, news, came out in July of, uh, of a man in his, a guy in his 40s uh, who was a guy who was being hired uh, uh, by women uh, to have uh, sexual cleansing uh, with widows and uh, the girl uh, children. And this uh, man uh, made a stunning revelation that uh, he had been sleeping with, I think, 104 women and girls. So although there has been major strides and gains in slowing down the transmission of HIV, uh, these kind of cultural practices are going to impede uh, the progression or the, the, uh, the, they're going to impede all the efforts uh, that are put in place to stop uh, the transmission uh, of the virus. In terms of religion, uh, in Malawi, it ranges from traditional religions, uh, African traditional religions, um, to Muslims, Hindu, uh, Roman Catholic, 
and most of the uh, Protestant uh, traditions. The influence of the Arab, Arab traders brought the Muslim religion uh, from the Middle East, and while the Indian, uh, Indians and Eastern traders brought uh, the Hindu uh, religion. The Europeans and later the Americans joined with the missionaries from South Africa and Australia uh, to bring uh, Catholicism and uh, various brands of uh, Protestantism. Uh, more than in most countries of Africa, the nation of Malawi has been greatly influenced by missionaries from Europe. The most famous of these uh, was uh, David Livingstone, uh, who came to Malawi in the mid-800s uh, uh, from Scotland. And so he introduced uh, Christianity then. So the Chewa people, uh, who formed the largest part of the population, are predominantly Christian, uh, Protestant, and they are concentrated primarily in the, in the central region uh, of the nation, and the Yao people um, are, are primarily the Muslims and are located along the lake as well as in the southern section of the country. The major divisions are broken uh, down to Protestant, like 55%, Muslims 20%, Roman uh, Catholic 20%, and traditional indigenous and other, religion, and, and other religions uh, 5%. And of recent years, too many hyper-Pentecostal and charismatic movements have emerged and are striving like bush wildfires. This is an area that I am, uh, as one of the people that are there, particularly concerned with the false teaching they are bringing uh, to the people. And they are influencing many, many people. And so you could go to Malawi today, almost at every corner, you will see a, a Christian church, and, and I'm putting a Christian church in, in the courts, uh, because not everything that calls on or brands itself on Christian is actually Christian. In my estimation, there has been some uh, tremendous efforts of propagating Christianity as, as a religion, uh, other than inviting people uh, to the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is these kind of trends that are, are threatening uh, the truth and, 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 and the gospel, the true gospel uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain factors that have actually contributed to the thriving uh, of these uh, charismatic uh, movements, uh, several factors. Number one, the media. Uh, the media in Africa, TV and radios are powerful mediums of reaching people. And in Malawi, there are several radios and TV stations that are run by these kind uh, of groups. And some of it is actually imported uh, from the states.
the style of preaching, African culture is demonstrative, expressive, uh, unreserved, and most times loud. Uh, as I was hearing the songs here, I was like, man, can they turn the volume a little bit higher? Uh, we, we, we love loud. It's, it's, it's part of, of, our, of our culture. And so preachers that exudes these kind of characteristics in their delivery of sermons, they are listened to more than the reserved uh, Baptist preacher who stands behind the pulpit as if he is tied there. I would say most charismatic preachers have the energy that appeals to African culture. And if they have the things that people are looking for, they're going to flock and leave what is the truth because that's what they are all about. And so these churches, they are mushrooming and they are thriving um, like every corner, literally at every corner, uh, every corner of the, uh, of the country. I, I, I can put my money on the table or my salary here as a bet. Man, if you go there, too many people, just go to every corner, you'll find some kind of Christian church. But it will be, the names will be like, high Pentecostal movement of the apostolic church or something like the Holy Ghost uh, uh, movement of the, of the church. And then the last thing uh, that I think uh, has actually uh, contributed to the thriving of, the, of these movements, it's the prosperity teaching. People in Africa are hurting and the messages of health, wealth, appeals to them. I, I don't mean to be unkind, but these people have actually bashed people's heads. And what these guys have done is they have uh, taken the traditional belief system and just sprinkled it with some Bible verses that are misapplied and often are quoted uh, out of context. Salvation is not the main course or the main menu. It's all about miraculous healings and foretelling what is going to happen to you next. And these things are, these things are drawing the crowds. They give all these wealth uh, and name it and claim it messages. And in the end, They'll force it upon people to make the Lord, uh, to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Have you heard that? They'll preach all kind of sermons and wealth and, and, and name it, claim it. And in the end, they'll say, if you really want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, say this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know what you did for me. I repent of my sin. Amen. The gospel hasn't been preached. How, how could one get saved if the gospel hasn't been preached? And so these are kind of the messages that have actually invaded uh, the, uh, the pulpits 
in Africa. The crowds are not looking for someone to explain to them the way to find pardon with God. No. They're always looking for what is it, what, what is in for me. So more consuming uh, consumer mentality uh, than uh, uh, giving uh, mentality. But in the midst of this, what is it that we need to be doing? The, the church, uh, the group of people who believe that they hold on to the truth, uh, they talk about doctrine, they talk about opening the Bible, they talk about discipling people. What is it that we need to be doing? Because the things that we are seeing is not biblical Christianity. And because it is not, we all must be concerned. We should be concerned. We should be mourning. We should be doing something about this trend to come to stop it. There are several passages that that God calls our attention to keep the mouth shut of those that are not preaching the truth. What is it that we are doing? It's distressful. Well, when I was preparing for this, I, I kind of came to the heart of David in, 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 in Psalm number 11, uh, when he actually expresses his emotions, his distress. We, we, we do not know the context. We do not know what is happening in Psalm number 11. But whatever the case may be, it is clear that it was a time of great distress for him and the nation. In his situation, he was presented with just two options to trust in the Lord and face the situation or to flee to the mountains. In verse number one, he says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Sounds like someone has come to him and giving him counsel. Flee. Go to the mountain. The crowning moment of David is coming in verse number three, and he says, In the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we ask ourselves today, if the very foundations of the truth be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Friends, the world has a philosophy and agenda it's pushing for people to embrace. The God of this world has an agenda to besiege the church. It's no surprise that Paul, as he writes to Timothy in his epistle, second epistle to Timothy, he records how perilous the last days would be. 
And he says, the evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and be deceived. And there's an agent appeal for the church to run to the mountains, to flee to the mountains. We hear stories like doctrine divides. We need just to find places that we really agree and that should form the basis of our unity. Now God talks about doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. It's not a small thing. It forms the basis of what we believe. And if the foundations are being destroyed, if people are coming and attacking these foundations, what must the righteous do? When the gospel is outdated in most pulpits, you hardly hear of the message that call out evil and call people to repentance. When the Bible is undermined and feelings becomes the rule of life, the things that I feel becomes the priority. What must the righteous do? When prosperity gospel, wealth and health messages have swept the pulpits, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Sounds like there is no hope, right? Flee to the mountains? No way, David said. In the Lord, I put I my trust, and I will not flee to the mountains. Now I just use this passage as a reference. I'm not preaching. But I just want to, you to notice a few things. Look at the construction of the sentence. This is, this is not just the promotion of King James Version. These are the very words of God. And, and our God chooses the words that he says very, very carefully. David does not say, I will put my trust in the Lord. He doesn't say that when I takes the preeminence, he, he says, in the Lord put I my trust. You, you just can't miss his focus on God. God-centeredness. Friends, in the midst of all the, all the madness that is going out there, David is inviting us to keep focused on God. He is the source of all truth. And secondly, we must look to the future with hope. In verse number four, he's persuaded that he will not put his trust in anyone or anything but in the Lord. And why? The Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eye beholds. His eyelids try the children of men. God sees everything. And in due season, he's going to pass judgment on those who wrestle the scriptures. Meanwhile, we are looking forward. While we are looking forward for God to pass judgment, God has given us a mission. And we have heard from Pastor Paul Clark last night to leave out the truth and to teach it. The truth that we hold fast to is worth dying for. Is that not why Jesus came? Is that why he died on the cross? This is why Jesus came. Jesus appears before Pilate in John chapter number 18. And then he gives us the one of the reasons that he came into the world. And verse number 37, he says, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. I mean, here it comes, not a speculation, but it comes from the very lips of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. You know, the world is so sucked and doesn't really know the truth. They, the world thinks that there is no absolute truth. What is truth to me is not truth to will. When Jesus says, I have come to show you what absolute truth is, and I am the absolute truth. That's what we should be about, friends. In the midst of all this craziness, the church must rise. The church must rise to keep the mouth of these people who are preaching another gospel shut for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do with the Passion Center for Pastors. And Pastor Mark is going to uh, give us some more details of what that means uh, tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs>